So he was a religious leader. Notice it says in verse number two, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi. So Rabbi means he was a religious teacher. We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these. So he was spiritually perceptive. We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse number four, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Now here, here is such something that I talk about all the time. We're trying to mix two things that don't mix, the spiritual and the physical. Jesus is speaking about a spiritual birth and he's thinking of a second natural birth. Verse number five. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Water would picture the natural birth. You're born in and out of, conceived in and out of water and of the Spirit. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you won't see it, neither will you enter it. That which is born of flesh is flesh. He is elaborating on verse number five when he says that. That which is born of spirit is spirit. You cannot be born again until you have been born the first time. You have to be born into this world before you can be born into the next world. Notice verse number seven. Marvel, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Now let's go ahead and stop right there. Let's pray and ask God to enlighten us as to what it means to be born again. Heavenly Father, thank you for the new birth. Thank you for John chapter number three. Thank you for the word of God that, that gives us such wonderful, wonderful truths regarding especially the subject of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you know, the Bible speaks of the new birth or salvation in so many different ways, or you could say the new birth is also pictured or described as being saved. Now, again, I'll emphasize, not saved from hell. It doesn't say it anywhere in the Bible we're saved from hell, but that's what we put the emphasis on. That's why there's so many people that live like the devil and say that they're saved. Well, I've been saved from hell. The Bible says that he came to save us from our sin, okay? And so, see, the Lord will, he loves you so much, he'll save you no matter where you are, but he loves you so much that he will not leave you where you are. He's gonna pull you out of the miry clay. Are you with me? He's gonna, he's gonna change it. And if you've been born again, the scriptures say you're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so the Bible speaks of this new birth in several different ways. It speaks of it as being saved, like a lifeguard would save somebody who was drowning, like a fireman who would save somebody out of a burning building. Well, you can't save yourself. As I said, you need a savior. Jesus, he is the only savior. He will not allow you to help him save yourself. Otherwise, you can take glory. It's all because of what Jesus did and not what we do. We're saved by grace through faith and we're also kept saved by grace through faith. And um, the way that you were saved originally is the way that you stay saved, you see. And, uh, but also the Bible talks about salvation as receiving a gift. Now gift is something that if, if it's worth having, it costs somebody something. And salvation was purchased at great price. The only difference is you didn't pay for it. Jesus paid for it. He purchased 
that salvation um, on the cross and he paid for it with his blood. Most precious substance in the entire universe is the blood of Jesus. And it was poured out, not spilt, poured, not spilt, shed. It wasn't accidental. You see, you spill something accidentally. This was done on purpose. He came to this end, he said to Pilate, to this end was I born, and to this, for this cause came I into the, to the world, to bear record of the truth. And how did he do that? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me through the cross. And uh, so be that as it may, um, you know, there's well, right around Christmas time. So you're going to buy gifts for your children and gifts for one another and something that somebody likes. And you just don't buy what they like. You also try to buy something that somebody needs. A real valuable gift is something that somebody not only wants, but they need. You see what I'm saying? I remember years ago that I went home before I got married and I went home and I didn't have a car. And uh, I was in college at that time and my mother and uh, my stepfather bought me a car. I had one present under the tree and it was about th that big and uh, it was a key. And they said, well, this key is to that car. Look out that, that, that window right there. I couldn't believe it. It was a Plymouth Arrow, you know, it was just overwhelming. I couldn't pay for it, but they paid for it for me. Uh, it wasn't an, an expensive car, but it ran, amen, and it got me back to college and got me several years through college, and um, it was something that I did. Well, the Lord purchased a gift that everybody wants and everybody needs, and uh, how do you receive a gift? Well, you take possession of it. You, um, you, just, you, you receive a gift by opening up your hand and just receiving it. The way that you receive a spiritual gift is by opening up your heart and receiving Christ and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's also considered, or the Bible talks about salvation as being like the new birth, receiving a gift, um, or the re receiver of a gift, and also a pardon, a pardon. According to Isaiah chapter 55, verse number seven, he will abundantly pardon. Think about it. Think about it. What God is saying is, look, salvation is all of these things in a real sense. But think of it this way. It includes all the aspects of a birth, all the aspects of a gift, all the aspects of a pardon. Here it is. You were, you were, you were serving a life sentence on death row, never to get out, no hope. You, you know, there's no appeals. You know, that, that's it. You're sentenced to death row. And then God comes along and just pardons you and uh, let you go free. Think about that. Man, I, I, yeah, I, you know, working in jail, sometimes I put myself in that position. Some people, you know, a jail is where you just wait to serve out your sentence in a prison. But some people in the Franklin County Jail have been there five, you know, seven, I don't know, 10 years. And uh, I've been there just about six, and there's still some people that have been there. Said, and I asked a deputy one time, he says, how come they're still here? He says, well, that's because you know, there's still in discovery or something like that. And, uh, and, uh, but, but just imagine if you were on death row, you were sentenced to death. And, um, and then one day somebody comes and hands you a pardon from the governor, a pardon from the president. Think how you would feel. Think how you would feel. Well, how about it's also talks about like akin to that, but not as severe would be redemption, you know? And, um, we have been redeemed. We have been bought, bought by the blood of Christ. Not only do we receive a gift, and in a way we are a gift, um, um, bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
but by the Lord for God. And uh, Jesus died ultimately for God. And um, he came to do the will of, of God. Amen to that. And also another way is to uh, explain it is just having forgiveness of sin. Now, I believe, and I'm not going to be talking about finances today, but I believe that if you live right, and I believe that if you honor God with your finances, you don't have to make a lot of money and God will bless you. Okay. Okay. If you'll just, if you'll just be faithful with your money and, uh, and you'll seek to please God with your money, he's going to bless you. And you can get to the point where you're out of debt. But sometimes, especially in the early years, I get it. You want to buy a house and you got to get started. And so you buy a car and, and, and you really don't, you're, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not lustful in these things. And you don't have a, you know, an overindulgent or worldly appetite. You just, you, you, you really just want to, you, you want a home that, that you need, you know, and uh, you want a car that's reliable. That's, that's all you want. And uh, you do the best you can, but it's oftentimes when you're first getting started, you build up a mountain of debt. I get that. It's $200,000 to buy a home in Union now. I mean, you can't buy a new car for under $20,000. I was, I was in my 40s before I bought a, uh, an, you know, in fact, I've, I've never owned a new car now. I think about it, uh, except for one short time when I was about 18. Uh, I bought it and had it for about six months. God called me to go to college, and he said, you shouldn't have bought that in the first place because now it's done tied you down. You've got to get rid of it. As long as you are in enslaved to debt, you cannot be a servant of mine. And uh, so anyway... Um, think about this. Okay, so you're $250,000, $300,000 in debt, which is not unreasonable for the average American today. Um, and then somebody comes along and just pays your debt clean. Think about it. You have no more house, no more mortgage, no more car payments, no more revolving credit. Think about that. Man, what a relief that would be. That's, that's just maybe what we can understand a little bit about maybe what it would mean to be on death row. You know, but anyway, the Bible talks about salvation is also like healing. Much of the, the, the miracles of Christ have a parallel, a spiritual healing. You know, as like Amazing Grace says, I once was blind, but now I, I see. Amen. We walked in darkness, but now we are the children of light. You that were dead in trespasses and sins, hath God quickened or made alive again by his healing hand. What about adoption? Now, adoption is a wonderful thing. And isn't it a blessing that people have been calling you, you know, um, don't mean to single out the crones, but, you, you know, um, to, to just to, to love children that are not their own. That's a wonderful thing, you know, and to take children, you know, um, you know, really wouldn't have a chance anywhere else. You know what I'm saying? Some of these third world countries, and if they could give you a wonderful testimony uh, about that, and just, uh, in fact, Paula has written a book on it, and I read about halfway through it, and then it got lost. I think, I think last, last um, Paula, I hate to say it, but it was during one of the meals. Everything got moved around. I think I found it in the refrigerator, and then it got moved. <laughs> I, I don't know. But um, honestly, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's really a, a, a blessing. But think about that. Here it is. God is talking about when he adopted Israel. He says, man, I adopted you when no, and your mother didn't want you. You were left for dead, dying in your own blood, you know. And uh, really, think about that. How, you know, the world doesn't want us, but God does. And uh, 
being children of disobedience. That's what it says. That's what it says. We were by nature the children of disobedience. But he adopted us anyway. And the only reason why we love him is because he loved us first. You know? And uh, he saw us and had compassion on us. Well, adoption, pardon, being saved. Saved from sin and its penalty. I'll throw that in there. Absolutely. And then, and then it's a gift. And also it's kind of like a resurrection. Coming back to life again. And giving new life in Christ. That's, that's what it is. you know. And then, uh, as we said, a birth. And then a baptism. Now let me just stop and say this. Several, many years ago, I used to write in the local paper every week. And then they stopped it. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, but they stopped it. And... And the, there was a man that, um, in fact, the same pastor that's there now, he's been there forever, the, the Church of Christ right across from the mobile station, right over there, I believe it's Church of Christ, maybe Church of God. They believe that you have to be baptized to be saved. And uh, so he wrote in the paper, um, in the paper, because they would, they would have different people write in the paper, and several preachers would, and I did as well. I did for, I guess, about maybe four or five months, and then they stopped it on everybody. Um, and well, anyway, and so he wrote on it. And then the next week, the pastor, Parker, um, down at First Baptist Church, Ken Parker. I can't believe I remember that. That's a long time ago, 20 plus years ago. Um, anyway, he wrote a rebuttal, but I thought it was a weak rebuttal. And I didn't think that it represented what Baptists believe. Uh, of course, I think that Southern Baptists have perverted <laughs> the true doctrines of the Baptist faith. Um, so I wrote back and I said, you know, we, be, you know, we believe that you have to be baptized to be saved. We believe that before there was a Pentecostal. Baptists have believed that before there was a Church of Christ. We believe that we, long before you did, but not this baptism. This is just a picture, you follow me, of the real baptism. The Bible says when you get saved, you are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And we believe that a long time ago. See, you're not saved by baptizing. You're not saved by your own works, works done to you, by you, or for you. It's all of faith, and it's all of grace. God will not share his honor or his glory with any other. Amen. And that's why, to God be the glory. And Abraham said, of the king of um, um, Sodom, I will not take so much as a penny from you because I don't want you to say that you made Abraham rich. And God, that, that's a beautiful picture of God is saying, listen, I'm not going to take one penny from you. You know, you, you, you cannot earn it because I don't want you to say that you have any claim to eternal life. It's all of grace, all of grace. You're not saved because of your goodness. You're saved because of God's goodness. Amen. Anyway, um, and then eating and drinking is a beautiful picture of that. Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Well, the Pharisees, they really had a problem with that, right? They said, well, you're a cannibal, you know, and uh, the Romans, they, they, they hunted down and killed Christians because of that text and said, look at that. Their leader teaches cannibalism. You got to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus. Even the Romans said that was wrong. But Jesus, what did he say? He said, the words that I speak unto thee are spiritual and are spiritually discerned. What he was saying is, spiritually speaking, what is the flesh of Jesus? The Bible teaches us that his body is the word, the word of God. 
Um, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So what he was teaching is we feast on Jesus spiritually, the Word of God. Jesus is the... And see, when you read the Word, you're reading Christ. When you believe the Word, you believe Christ. Are you with me? Are you with me? When you eat the Word, it's like you're eating Christ and getting your sustenance from Christ. That's what it means to be saved. Um, and then, of course... Um, drinking his blood. Are you washed in the blood of Jesus? We're saved by two incorruptible things, according to Peter, right? The incorruptible word, right? And also the incorruptible blood. Amen to that. But anyway, it's like eating and drinking. You know, Jesus said this to the woman at the well. If you eat, if you, if you drink of the water of this, uh, this well, the water from the world, okay, and anything that the world can offer, if you drink from this well, you're going to thirst again, right? So you go ahead and drink. I don't care if you get water from a deep religious well. If you get water from a, a deep moral well and it tastes good, you're going to thirst again. The only thing that can quench the thirst for salvation is Christ is Christ. Anyway, so there's a few verses on the new birth. I want to hone in on that. I guess it just depends on how much time we have. Notice, if you will, 1 John chapter number 3 and verse number 9. Go ahead and turn over there, if you will. 1 John 3 and verse number 9. 1 John 3, 9. Um, now, John, the book of 1 John is a, is a book about salvation. A person should begin before salvation reading the book of John. Um, and it's a good gospel book, right? I mean, that's what it says. These things were written that you might believe, right? And to, to bring you to the point of belief. So John is one of the very few books that are written, not, not, not just for saved, but to the lost people for the purpose that they might believe. And, um, and so that's where you want to steer them, you know, lost people, right there. And John is a good place to start. Anyway, and then the book of 1 John talks us about after you get saved that you're eternally secure. So John is all about salvation by grace, both before and after you get saved. You, you were saved and you're kept saved by the power of God, by the grace of God. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. Okay, notice again. I'm going to talk about where it says he cannot sin and does not sin. I'll talk about that. Just Let me just stop and say right now. The new nature doesn't sin. The new nature does not sin. You have a nature in you that does not sin. Okay, and that's what it means to be born again, born from above. Okay, that's why the Bible talks about in Galatians, there is a battle that goes on in every Christian. The old fleshly carnal nature and new spiritual nature. The old fleshly carnal nature knows, it only knows sin. And uh, the new nature uh, only knows righteousness. Then they come into conflict, okay? Um, that's what the Bible talks about inside of a person is that spiritual warfare. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. Paul says, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And uh, that is true. And even the heart. Don't trust your, don't trust your heart. Okay? The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperate. More people will go to hell trusting in their heart. Okay? That more than anything else. Because it's the most deceitful. Now, I'm not saying it's the most wicked. 
uh, overall, wicked, ungodly, evil, uh, you know, um, all, all the things, sinful, dark. Um, when, he all up, when you add it all up together, the devil is the worst of the worst. But a part of that is deceptive. You are, when it comes to that, your heart is more deceptive than the devil. Um, because that's what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things. All things. <laughs> and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Okay. So anyway, we can't trust our heart. <laughs> it would be better to trust the devil than it would trust your heart. But it, you, you're going to lose either way. You've got to trust God. You've got to trust God. Anyway, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Whosoever is born of God. Notice what it says in chapter 4 of, and verse number 7. Beloved, I'm in, I'm in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. Just flip over a page. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. Born of God. Talking about being born again. Born of God. Now, you don't need to turn here, but 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the word of God is incorruptible. Okay? Now, what does, what, what does the scripture say in 1 Corinthians? We're not as many that corrupt the word, right? When the word is corrupted, it has no saving power, right? right? Because we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. Now, 70% of Americans claim to be born again. It seems to be a very popular thing to say. You know, have you been born again? Have you had a religious experience? But born again seems to be, at least since the 1970s, Jimmy, Jimmy Carter claimed that he was born again, and a lot of people said that he won on that right there. Um, and, of course, you remember that Ro Rosalind Carter uh, just died about a week or so ago. His wife, um, they've been married for crying out loud, pushing 76, almost 80 years. And, um, and uh, so, I mean, there's a testimony right there. Although, as far as his religious beliefs, um, uh, we are miles apart. But anyway, he did claim to be born again. It seems to be a popular term. I heard somebody say one time, Ozzy Osbourne said, he is born again. Marilyn Manson, you, you know, Marilyn Manson, you know what I'm talking about? That rocker that makes Ozzy Osbourne look like a Sunday school teacher. Marilyn Manson, you know who I'm talking about? Okay. He claims to have been born again. Okay. Uh, but he said he's not going to give up his music, you know. Ted Nugent's the same way. Um, I, I guess of all of them, I guess Ted Nugent. I, I, if, if I had to guess one of them, I, I guess I would guess Ted Nugent maybe. May but, I, you know, it's a popular thing to be born again. Again, just because you label something something does not mean that it's, it's that, you know. Um, you know, you, you, can, <laughs> you, can, you can call a... Well, Abraham Lincoln, when he would go on debates, he would say, you know, if I, if I say the tail of a dog is a leg, then how many, how many legs does the, does the dog have? And uh, they'd say, well, yeah, it says five. He says, no, it has four. Just because you call a tail a leg does not make it a leg. Anyway, but so, so every American, get this, every American president has, has since claimed to have had a religious experience, every single American president, except Biden, has claimed to be born again. Every one of them. Joe Biden, he, he just, well, it's obvious he's not. I mean, it's, it's as plain as the nose on your face, you know. This, there's no way 
This guy, everything that God is against, Joe Biden is for. Not Biden, Lydon. That's what he is. He's just a liar. And, um, you know, but um, it seems to be a popular thing. Now, notice what it says. It says a few things about the, the new birth. It's a marvel, you know, but it shouldn't be, you know. Um, it, it causes people to marvel, but we should not marvel. Jesus said, marvel not. You, you've got to be born again. What, what he's saying is, are you, are you thinking that you can actually earn heaven on your own merit? He says, man, that, you know, that would be the marvel. But he marvels that he must be born again. And Jesus says, marvel not. He says, don't be surprised. You're not going to get to heaven on your own merit or your own good works. It is impossible. The scriptures teach it, and you, you just know it in your heart. You're not going to get to heaven in your good works. You're not going to get to heaven uh, just because you have faith. Faith is only as good as the object. You've got to put your faith in Christ. You cannot just put your faith in anything. Everybody has faith. Everybody has faith. Well, I have faith. You know? Well, yeah. Well, everybody has faith. Faith is a gift of God, the scriptures say. You know? Uh, in fact, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc., etc. Faith. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a gift of God. Everybody has faith. It's not the use, but the abuse of. And the abuse of it is where you're going to put your faith. When Jesus said, where is your faith? I mean, you didn't have any. What he was saying is, your faith is not in me. And I don't see it in me. When the Son of Man cometh, the Bible says, shall he find faith in the world? You see? And in the last days, there are going to be a lot of people going to have faith, faith in their feelings. They, they, they feel saved, so they think they're saved. You know? And their good works have deceived them. Their feelings have deceived them. They've been baptized, and they think that they're, they're, they're saved. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and by the way, once you, once you get there, that, that solves a whole lot of stuff. You know? All, all the evolution, creation stuff, you know? Man, that's just, see, if you believe John chapter 3, you'll believe Genesis chapter 3. If you're going to believe John chapter number 1, you're going to believe Genesis chapter number 1. You see? See, people that deny John chapter 1, Okay, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, you know, and we beheld his glory. If you're going to deny John chapter number one be because of just infidelity, or you just can't see it, okay, then by the same process of infidelity, you'll deny Genesis one. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God created the heaven for a place to put the earth, and then he put it in its place. That's what it says. Childlike faith just believes it because you just believe what God says. You may not understand it, but you believe it. Are, are you with me on that? And uh, like when it comes to Israel, you're just a friend of Israel because that's what the Bible teaches. We're supposed to be a friend of Israel, you know. Now, that doesn't mean that every Israeli, you know, is going to be nice and you don't have to be a friend, you know, that, you know, <laughs> um, we need to be kind to everybody, even our enemies. But that doesn't mean every single Israeli is a Christian. But the, na the nation is married to God, the Bible says. It's the wife of God. How much time do I got? 10.50. Anyway, so Nicodemus, he thought he was going to heaven because he thought he was a good person. But the Bible says there is none good. No, not one. There's none good. None good. You are not getting heaven on your goodness. There's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. That's what the scriptures say, okay? But he thought, man, if anybody's going to go to heaven, it would be me. And Jesus says, 
I'm surprised that you're surprised that you think that you, you can't get to heaven on your own good works. And so he said, marvel not. That's the first M of the new birth. Marvel not. Well, a few things about Nicodemus. He was a religious man, but religion, he is a tithing man. He was a Pharisee. Pharisees tithe twice in a week. Tithe down to the very penny. He was a member of the ruling class, the Sanhedrin. Um, but all these things, just because, just because you're a religious person doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You must be born again. And I would say this to a lot of people. Marvel not that, 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 that you must be born again. You know, well, I've been baptized. Marvel not that you think that your baptism will get you to heaven. Because it, it's not. Your good works, your church attendance, you know, and uh, those kind of a things. Anyway, um, then the message of the gospel is just, it, it just, it, you know, it just makes the, the, the lost person a marvel. Now, after you get saved, it's no marvel, is it? Because you realize, man, your eyes have been opened. You're more, you're, you're, you're more sinful than you thought you were. You see, the carnal mind, his, his eyes are blinded to spiritual things. He does not look into the, the glass. You know, he looks to that glass, you know, um, darkly, the Bible says. But when you get saved, what's he say? After, after he was healed of his blindness, he says, God touched him first time. He says, I see men and walkers in his trees, right? And then he says, oh, now I see all men clearly. After you get saved, you see all men clearly. When God begins to do a work. I mean, he starts changing your view of the world, your view of other people, and especially your view of yourself. What did Peter say? Apart from me, I am um, a, a, a sinful man, right? And, um, and, and, and so that's, that's what we are. Anyway, um, boy, I've got to stop here. It's 1053. Um, let me just say one more M. I'm giving you a couple M's of the new birth, and that's the must of the new birth. The Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Don't marvel at that because you must be, you must be born again. Um, I was talking to James. By the way, James is here. If you get a chance, shake his hand. Talking to James, he was talking about a friend of his that, you know, maybe has dealing with demon possession problems. But remember this, you know, demons are pretty, they're pretty slate. Um, a lot of times people have demons and don't even realize it. Yeah. You see, they just kind of come on in. Just like the one in Luke, the Bible says, and he went out, right? But then he found the house, the body. Man, the guy reformed his ways. His life was swept and cleaned up, garnished, the scriptures say. Then he came back with seven others more wicked than himself. And the last state was worse than the first. Man, you can't reform your ways. You're not going to make it any better. You need redemption. You need salvation. Marvel not. You must be born again. You must be born from above. The only way to become a new creature, get a new heart, is through the new birth. Um, anyway, um, we'll pick it up next week with the miracle of the new birth.